This episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix and by Caviar. Has this ever happened to you? You're craving something sweet, cold, and fast enough that you don't even have to get out of your car, so you drive on over to one of the more than 38,000 McDonald's locations worldwide for a tasty milkshake, or perhaps a cone, or maybe a hot fudge sundae, or if you're feeling particularly naughty, a McFlurry. Mm -hmm. You place your order, and then you hear those dreaded words, sorry, the ice cream machine is broken. There are still about a hundred other items on the menu that could easily satiate your animal desires for excessive amounts of sugar, salt, carbs, and fat. But you wanted ice cream, damn it. Yeah. And you're not alone. The broken McDonald's ice cream machine epidemic has been so widespread for so long that it's a meme going back several years. I've since given up. I have to go to Denny's now. Because Denny's, it always works at Denny's. How does that work? You walk into a Denny's and just say, like, I'd like some ice cream to go, please? A milkshake. Not some ice cream. Right, but you, you order you go into a Denny's and you order a milkshake to go? Yes. What is, is that weird? I don't I, I guess mean, not. I've done it during the pandemic where I order online in advance or call them and then pick it up. Okay. Sure. Look, the machine always works at Denny's. I don't know what to tell you. Right. I can't go to McDonald's because I fear the machine being broken. Oh, you, you... It only happens once a month when I really feel naughty. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not going to get milkshakes every night. But every once in a while, I'll get a hankering. Okay. And then I go, okay, look. Do you bring it home and crush out some Oreos and stir it in yourself? No, I do. I ask for a cookies and cream shake. They okay. do it for you. And usually they put an Oreo in the bottom. So you crunch it up yourself. Okay. Well, maybe that's the life hack that we've all been waiting for. Just but, go to Denny's. But someone else came up with something else. All right. The, uh, the notion yeah. <laughs> that, that McDonald's ice cream machines are constantly broken is so ubiquitous that over the years, even high-profile news outlets like the Wall Street Journal have investigated it. And the truth of the matter is that the ice cream machines aren't necessarily always broken. They just require a lot of maintenance. There's a daily cleaning cycle that can take three to five hours, and they have to be completely disassembled twice a month. But also, a lot of the machines are apparently very old and do actually break down due to age or misuse. It, it seems like the amount of value that they're getting out of these machines just isn't worth it. Yeah. The cones are like, what, 50 they're cents? very cheap. Yeah. You can get that baby size cone for like under a dollar still, I think. Sir, please. <laughs> You're making an abomination of our small yeah. cone policy. A few years back, McDonald's said that they were in the process of just replacing all of their machines with newer ones that require a lot less maintenance. But somehow, the problem persists. Yeah. Where's those machines? Mm -hmm. Mickey D's. Ronald. Mm -hmm. In 2017, one enterprising young woman created an iPhone app called Ice Check to allow people to look up whether the ice cream machine at their local McDonald's was broken. But Ice Check relies entirely on crowdsourced reports from other users, so it's not entirely scientific. If only there was a way to automatically know, without relying on other people's disappointment, if the ice cream machine is down or not. Well, thanks to the fact that nowadays McDonald's has its own mobile app for placing orders, a 24-year-old software engineer in Germany named Rashik Zahid has created a website called McBroken <laughs> that aggregates McDonald's app data to provide real-time maps to accurately show which McDonald's locations across the United States are currently serving ice cream. Cool. Uh, there's even stats on the sidebar showing that as of when we last checked, 10.13% of all U.S. McDonald's ice cream machines are currently out of service. And San Diego currently leads the nation with 17.39% of machines not working. When Rashik first debuted McBroken on Twitter last week, he wrote, I reverse engineered McDonald's internal API and I'm currently placing an order worth $18,752 every minute at every McDonald's in the U.S. to figure out which locations have a broken ice cream machine. 
And to be clear, no orders are actually being placed. McBroken simply attempts to put a McSunday or whatever in their shopping cart and reports back on whether that was successful or not. No workers are being inconvenienced by this, except for McDonald's data analysts, who Rashik apologized to on Twitter with, I'm sorry, McDonald's data analyst. I'm afraid I'm ruining your entire mobile conversion metrics for my own personal amusement. Yeah, it's like that shit they tried to do to Trump by, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, put it in your shopping cart and then never check out. And they'll, th yeah. I don't know how much it really fucks with uh, people's. Well, it's not just for his personal amusement either. He's doing a yeah, service. He to is the doing a, a service that McDonald's themselves should probably be offering. Yeah. But uh, there you go. Yeah. So within just 20 minutes of launching, McBroken received 10,000 visitors and eventually crashed. McBroken was broken, mm -hmm. though the problem has since been fixed. And uh, after two days running, Rashik tweeted that there had been around 16 million interactions with McBroken from 1.5 million unique users. Uh, Rashik told The Verge that he mostly did McBroken as a joke and was surprised at how popular it became. Quote, I just made it for fun, but people were like, wow, this is the best thing I've seen this entire week. Well, I mean, we're kind of batting pretty low this year, so. Yeah. Uh, an app or a website that tells us what's broken at McDonald's. Is a win's a win. Pretty good. Um, yeah, meanwhile, despite this all basically being the culmination of a decade-long meme about how frustrating trying to get ice cream from McDonald's can be, uh, McDonald's seems at least publicly okay with it. Yeah, I mean, they're getting free promotion out of yeah. the whole thing. But yeah, th those machines, they're always broken at the time that you would want a milkshake. The middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. It's a skeleton crew there. They don't want to be dealing with the ice cream machine. But yeah. what's the point of it working at 11 a.m.? Yeah, who's eating ice cream for breakfast? Yeah. Freaks. Uh, a McDonald's executive, uh, they tweeted, quote, only a true McDonald's fan would go to these lengths to help our customers get our delicious ice cream. So thanks. We know we have some opportunities to consistently satisfy even more customers with sweet treats. And we will. Uh, and in a statement to CNN, McDonald's said, It is exciting to see customer passion translate into customer-innovated solutions to further make that experience a reality. We're committed to making sweet treats from our dessert menu available at all our restaurants and are regularly working with our franchisees and suppliers on improving and enhancing the restaurant experience so that customers can continue to enjoy McDonald's food where and when they want it. Now, I'll say I'm pretty surprised to hear that only around 11% of the ice cream machines are actually broken at any mm. point in time. I, but I think it is what you were saying. It's like at like 8 p.m. or so, they're like, all right. Shut the machine down. Yeah. We gotta spend two hours cleaning it's it. It's nighttime. Because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, most of the McDonald's in L.A. are like 24 hours. Mm -hmm. But I think in a lot of other places, they actually do close at like 11 or midnight. Or so they, they have a late night menu. Yeah, they want to start the, the cleaning cycle with enough time to get home and see their families, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, hun. another late night cleaning the ice cream machine. So, yeah, there's, I think there's some confirmation bias because the people who mostly post about the machine being down are the type of dirtbags to go and uh, try to buy ice cream at, like, midnight. When else are you eating ice cream? Um, after dinner. Directly? Yes, dire directly after I eat my dinner at 4.45 p.m., <laughs> I uh, pull out the tub of ice cream at uh, approximately 5.05, and yeah. then uh, I'm tucked in by 7.30. Well, that's the thing. So the time's changing, and it's getting darker earlier, and we're about to hit the actual time change. There's been multiple times over the past two weeks where I've needed to, I would, like, go to the grocery store or something. Well, like, obviously, it's not going to be open now. It's 7.45. Yeah. <laughs> of course it'll be open. Yeah. So, yeah, time change sucks. Time change does suck. Anyways, there you go. No more, no more disappointment at the McDonald's window. You heard it here first. The invisible hand of the free market is now going to force McDonald's to do their own tracking app. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully.
So that was a nice story to start things off with before we get into news about the goddamn U.S. presidential election. That's just days away. I didn't do the math until like this morning. I was like, holy shit, it's less than a week away. Less than a week. Fuck. And my blood pressure immediately just shot through the roof. And and it's not going to be over even after it happens. It's going to be like four fucking days of counting the votes. And then depending on the results, like... Oh no! This it's, is uh, this is a, going to be a month long process. Yeah, this uh, is uh, if not more. And Look, even if Biden wins, up. Trump's going to spend the next two months like trying to do whatever the fuck he can. He's literally going to cancel Christmas as yeah. punishment. Yeah, and bad boys and bad girls. We don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Last week we talked about a rather dubious claim uh, from a Dutch cybersecurity researcher that he had been able to access the president's Twitter account by simply guessing the password MAGA twenty twenty exclamation point. But. Uh, Since then, Trump has actually had some verifiably real cyber trouble. Uh, Just over a week ago, Trump said this about hacking. Nobody gets hacked. To get hacked, you need somebody with 197 IQ, and he needs about 15% of your password, right? But earlier this week, Trump's campaign website was hacked and defaced, and since then, his re-election fund has been robbed by hackers. What are you going to do? Stab me, says man who got stabbed. (laughs) Uh, The website hack occurred on Tuesday afternoon when DonaldJTrump.com turned into this. This site was seized. The world has had enough of the fake news spread daily by President Donald J. Trump. It is time to allow the world to know truth. Multiple devices were compromised that gave full access to Trump and relatives. Most internal and secret conversations, strictly classified information, is exposed, proving that the Trump Gov is involved in the origin of the coronavirus. We have evidence that completely discredits Mr. Trump as president, proving his criminal involvement in cooperation with foreign actors manipulating the 2020 elections. The U.S. citizens have no choice. Today is the day. The whole world can decide if they want to know that truth or not. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. Below that message is two different crypto wallet addresses. One for, yes, share the data, and one for, no, do not share the data. It's essentially the hacker version of, like, the tip jar at a coffee shop. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, basically, depending on which wallet people gave the money to, they would either share the dirt that they definitely have on Trump or not. Uh, but, yeah, obviously, this is just a crypto scam, probably done by foreigners based on the, uh, you know, the writing yeah. And uh, yeah, it's unclear how much money, if any, they managed to scam idiots out of during the 20 minutes or so that it took to revert the website back to normal. It would have been smarter if they had just left it looking like a campaign contribution website, but had it direct to a crypto wallet or anything else. Yeah, I, I'm i not sure. It sounds like the hack was very surface level. Like yeah. They didn't get into any of that other and stuff. And imagine them actually storing like <laughs> crazy amounts of data on the campaign website. Anyways, what we do know is that hackers definitely managed to scam the Wisconsin Re- Republican Party out of $2.3 million. Uh, and all they had to do was send over some phony invoices that looked like they came from vendors who handled the Trump campaign's merch and direct mail, but with the bank accounts changed. Got him. Oops. Uh, Wisconsin is a pretty important swing state that Trump won by fewer than 23,000 votes in 2016. And polls currently have Joe Biden leading there. So that $2.3 million, uh, it's definitely going to be missed by their local parties. Yeah. Unless uh, there's some conspiracy conspiracy, uh, theorizing about this. Because it was like, this is all according to the Wisconsin GOP. So... The the tinfoil theory is that uh, they actually sent the money to foreign bank accounts themselves, and then we're like, we were robbed. Oh my gosh, how did this happen? <laughs> we were just acting uh, like morons. I don't know about that, but yeah. it would be it would be funny. The whole thing's just funny. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, also in politics, earlier this week, Congress yet again summoned some big tech CEOs 
to another public hearing. This one ostensibly about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, but really just an excuse for Republicans to air the same grievances about anti-conservative bias uh, they've been airing at these guys for the last several years. It's so unbearable to watch. It's literally... This one was boring. It's literally just them... Ask like on the phone asking to speak to the manager or customer service. Like, yeah. uh, someone was mean to me. Can you please acknowledge it? Yeah, it's this is like you know, like a lot of fucking white boomers just have a pathological need to like talk to the manager. Yeah, and the manager just sits there and nods and is like, yeah, well, really sorry. That that's what these hearings have turned into. Yeah, and all Mark Zuckerberg needs to do is say. Dan Bongino, yeah. over and over again, because if you look at like the weekly, even yeah. daily or monthly stats, the most shared articles on Facebook are either from Dan Bongino or Fox News yeah, or Breitbart. Conservatives do real well on Facebook, they, and they they didn't really come at. They mostly came at Jack, mm-hmm. who I love. Looks Jack. great. I lo- <laughs> he looks great, doesn't I, he, folks? I have some problems with Jack, but uh, he's out of easily all of my the, favorite, yes. my favorite big tech CEO because yes. he's a fucking weirdo and embraces it. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't hide it. Yeah, so uh, Sundar Pichai of Google and Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, they handled things as patiently and politely as they usually do. They dressed up. They they made sure the camera angles were good. Uh, Jack Dorsey of Twitter clearly does not give a shit anymore. Nope. He's just given, like, simple, short answers uh, while looking like a homeless man. He, he, you uh, can tell he's miserable being there. Yeah, he's just like, all right, uh, yeah, sure. Right, we'll uh, we'll, you know, we'll look into it. Yeah, anything to gain back your trust, Senator. All right, cool. But, yeah, in case you're not familiar with Section 230, it's an old law that basically prevents social media sites from being held liable for posts they allow or, or, or remove. And conservatives hate it because they have a persecution complex and think everyone is trying to censor them, even if that censorship is just simple fact-checking. There was, of course, that New York Post story about Joe Biden's son, though. That was blocked from being posted for about a day on Twitter and Facebook. But Dorsey and Zuckerberg did a fairly decent job defending themselves on that topic, saying that the FBI had previously warned them directly about hacked materials being used to influence the election, like the WikiLeaks stuff from 2016. So they were being reactionary based on credible intelligence from the FBI. I think all these websites are uh, traumatized from 2016. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Uh, the New York Post stuff understandably looked a lot like that kind of thing when it first dropped. So whatever. Yeah, and it's still the more like, again, they highlighted it more than hit it because it became such a huge issue that it was being blocked. Yeah. And yeah. And there was the Streisand effect thing like blocking. It was the best thing they could have asked for on that story because mm-hmm. it got way more life out of it. But in the week or two weeks since that shit dropped, it's. I don't know. You, Falling apart. Yeah. You'd think there would be some like real. Uh, some real concrete stuff somewhere, but uh, yeah, it's not really not there. Really a, also, materializing. Also, no one's mind has changed at this point. No. Half the country's already fucking voted. Yes. So whatever. You anyway, go. as you'll recall, Dorsey and Zuckerberg, they were at, when that whole thing happened, they were already summoned to a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing uh, that was scheduled for mid-November, so they could get yelled at about the New York Post story. Yeah. Um, this thing this week was a Senate Commerce Committee hearing about Section 230. But yeah, the New York Post story was all that any of these GOP ghouls wanted to actually talk about. Uh, Ted Cruz even put on a his tough guy act uh, by yelling at Jack Dorsey. He said, who the hell elected you and put you in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear? And why do you persist in behaving as a democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your political beliefs? And my friend Jim Jordan's going to beat your ass. And uh, fucking Jack, uh, all of his, he's just like, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, we're real sorry, you know. It's, uh, it didn't play out exactly how we wanted it to, but, you know. Whatever. <laughs> we're going to do it. It's like yelling at a teenager who you just can't shame them. They no. No shame. They know they know they did something yeah. wrong, and they're just right. they're just sitting in attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, after this, I get to go home and smoke cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the whole thing was actually pretty boring this time Extremely around. Extremely boring. Yeah, you can tell that these guys are just getting, like, ground down well, and, nothing. And the, the interesting thing for me is, like the last seven times or so that this has happened, all the big tech sites have posted YouTube like compilations of like oh the ten biggest moments from the... none of them did that. There was no big moments because there was just a, a bunch of complaining. Yeah, yeah. It, there was nothing new about it. It's all the same shit. It was, it was a rerun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and has have, as many have pointed out here, it was ironically just a way for people like Ted Cruz to get video clips of them looking tough so they can post it to their Facebook and Twitter yeah. accounts. Yeah. Uh, uh, none of these people actually care about censorship as it relates to anyone outside of themselves. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn even hypocritically grilled Sundar Pichai about whether a Google employee who criticized her a few years ago on an internal Google message board still had a job there after being so unkind to her. So uh, did you fire that guy yet? By the way, it's just so messed up how you keep censoring conservatives. But did you fire the guy that criticized me on a private message board? Fuck you. Anyways, the only real highlight, for me at least, was uh, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson just getting piping hot mad about Twitter's apparent double standard in briefly blocking that New York Post article while allowing a joke tweet about him being a dog murderer to stay up. Here, just watch the clip. Let me give you a tweet that was put up on on, uh, Twitter. It says, Senator Ron Johnson is my neighbor and strangled our dog Buttons right in front of my four-year-old son and three-year-old daughter. The police refused to investigate. This is a complete lie, but important to retweet and note that there are more of my lies to come. Now, we contacted Twitter and we asked him to take it down. And here's the response. Thanks for reaching out. We escalated this to our support team for their review, and they have determined that this is not a violation of our policies. So, Mr. Dorsey, how could a complete lie, it's, it's, it's admitted it's a lie, how, how does that not affect civic integrity? How could you view that not as being election interference? Let's face it, that could definitely impact my ability to get reelected. How could that not be a violation of voter suppression. Obviously, if people think I'm strangling my neighbor's dog, they may not show up at the polls. That would be voter suppression. So why didn't Twitter take that? By the way, that tweet was was retweeted like something like 17,000 times and viewed by over and loved, commented, you know, appreciated by over 50,000 people. How is that not voter suppression? How is that not election interference? How does that not, that not affect the, the civic integrity? Well, we'll have to look uh, into our enforcement um, or not enforcement in this case of the tweet and we can get back to you with more context. I love it because even in the tweet, he, it and he acknowledges it is a joke. joke. <laughs> it's just like you can see Jack just like, I kept thinking he was going to say, well, it says right there. It that says that it was, it was a lie. <laughs> yeah, they, this person is joking and they're yeah. lying about this. What do you want us to do? If they had not put that, I, I don't know, maybe you'd have a case here. Yeah. I like I feel like Mark Zuckerberg after these hearings, like he actually does go out to like his barn and like uses the the air gun from No Country for Old Men to like kill one of his animals. But well, it I th- it up. I think Jack just like lights up a big one and goes on a hike. Drink some tea. Yeah. yeah. 
Sit Man, somewhere that and sucked. <laughs> wow. God, it sucks that I'm so good at being a CEO. <laughs> These people are so angry. <laughs> uh, anyway, speaking of social media companies being bad, here's some Facebook news that's genuinely infuriating. You know how Oculus is owned by Facebook? Well, if you don't by now, you should probably know that before buying their hot new yeah. wireless Quest. Yeah, there's some strings attached. They announced a while back that starting with the Oculus Quest 2, they'd be doing away with separate Oculus accounts and forcing users to log in with a Facebook account. Well, here's something that sucks even more. Apparently, if you deactivate your Facebook account, that also deactivates your Oculus account and permanently undoes all of your purchases. Poof. Yeah, gone. gone. And yeah, to be clear, deactivate is not the same as permanently delete. Those are two different options on Facebook, and deactivation is often the preferred option because it can be temporary, I think, for as long as you want yeah. if you happen to change your mind. And it also allows you to keep using Facebook Messenger. But it turns out with Oculus, deactivate still translates to literally like just permanently deleting everything. It's uh, punishment. Uh, including anything you've ever bought from the Oculus store. Yeah, is that why you wore your Palmer Lucky shirt? <laughs> <laughs> They're, no, don't. Hawaiian shirts, Aloha shirts are not Palmer Lucky shirts. Or Boogaloo Boy shirts. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you're trying to take it back. I'm just trying to be a big fat party animal, and everyone's just ruining my vibe. Look, I get it. It's finally getting cool in LA, and you want to use the, the Hawaiian shirts. It was like 90 in my house today. So you're, yeah, That's you're bullshit. getting your last. I, I, I only have two days left to wear this hat, okay? I understand. Anyways, thankfully, for owners of older Oculus headsets, basically anything pre the most recent one, uh, the transition from Oculus accounts to Facebook accounts won't be forced on you until sometime in 2023. So you've got ample time to start buying your VR titles on Steam and uh, saving up for a Valve index. It will cost you $1,000, yeah. but uh, it, yeah. I think your user experience will generally be or better. Or if you have to use the Quest, I would assume you could just start a new Facebook account and then have all those purchases tied to that one and just use it for the Quest, right? I guess. I mean, that might be the way. Still, like Facebook knows who you are and they will find yeah, the account it, you're using yeah, for Oculus. It's they yeah, they put like cookies and shit on your computer and it's like I don't know. I mean even if you did make uh, just Joe Schmo John Doe uh Oculus user. Oh, they'd profile, find you. They yeah, they'd do something with it. Uh, anyways, before we get into the other news, uh, this episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Uh, as the days get longer and the weather gets colder, it might be time to take a look at your winter wardrobe. If you want to make a change this season and really start dressing, Stitch Fix can help you choose new pieces that you will love. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by expert stylists for your unique size, style, and budget. Every piece is chosen for your fit and your life, and it's an easy solution to find what makes you look and feel your best. Try on pieces at home before you buy them, keep your favorites, and... Just send back the rest. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included in your box. There's no subscription required. Try Stitch Fix once or set up automatic deliveries. You'll pay just a $20 styling fee for each box, which gets credited towards pieces you keep. And there are no hidden fees ever. Get started today at stitchfix.com newsday, and you'll get 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. That's stitchfix.com newsday for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. Stitchfix.com newsday. This episode is also sponsored by Caviar. Mm. Now, cooking is great, but sometimes you just don't feel like doing it. Like on a Friday when you want to relax, or a busy Monday, or... Whenever. You have your own excuses. Mm -hmm. For those kind of days, get the Caviar app and get the best local restaurants delivered right to your door. Caviar is all about great restaurants. That's why you'll find the best spots in your neighborhood right when you open the app. With collections like Mediterranean, vegan, vegetarian, and more, it's super easy to find good food for whatever you're feeling. Looking for something that's not dinner? Caviar can also help you get 
Ice cream. Mm. That machine's broken? Nope, not anymore. Uh, Choose another business. Uh, They can also get you fun snacks, breakfast, a healthy lunch, whatever. So get the Caviar app. Get delivery. Get food you want. And just for our viewers, Caviar is giving you 20% off your first order. Just enter the promo code TECHNEWSDAY, all one word, at checkout. That is 20% off your first order with promo code TECHNEWSDAY. Download the Caviar app and use the code Tech News Day for 20% off your first order. All right, back to the news now. Uh, Those QAnon freaks simply cannot catch a break these days. Every week for the last month, we've told you about various online platforms finally deciding that enough is enough, and they're no longer going to tolerate the presence of the dumbest and yet most successful conspiracy (laughs) theory of all time. And this week, uh, you can throw Patreon onto the pile. Last week, Patreon announced via a blog post that, uh, going forward, creator accounts that advance disinformation promoting the QAnon conspiracy theory will no longer be supported on Patreon. Uh, The statement also says, quote, From now on, QAnon dedicated creators that are identified by our policy and trust and safety teams will have their accounts removed from Patreon. Creators who have propagated some QAnon content but are not dedicated to spreading QAnon disinformation will have the opportunity to bring their campaigns into compliance with our updated guidelines. Creators whose campaigns seek to analyze the QAnon conspiracy theory will not be impacted by this policy change. To date, the majority of creator accounts discussing QAnon fall into this last category. So that's that's a good distinction. Um, Thankfully, it sounds like creators whose material focuses on analyzing and making fun of QAnon, like the QAnon Anonymous podcast, which is great, uh, should be in the clear here. Yeah. So uh, Better the job than YouTube does, where it's just like, oh, you guys talked about coronavirus? That's the same thing as talking about the Holocaust. Uh-huh. Enjoy your band. Yep. There you yep. go. Don't talk about it. Yeah. Also, you can't joke about... I'm not even going to get into it. Yeah. The remedies of... Uh, uh, yeah, my, my list of tags on videos have just gotten shorter and shorter lately, because I'm like, well... <sighs> Do, yeah, I want it's like, to, do I want it to be searchable at the cost of, like, monetization? So, yeah, if you haven't <laughs> seen our video from earlier in the week, please go watch it because uh, I did get some tweets of people, like, didn't see this one. And it's because it, the whole thing is, like, COVID, coronavirus, yeah. whatever, because that's what the story is about. People don't want to see that shit. Yeah, so uh, be sure to watch our video because it is, it's, the audio is worth the watch alone. It's Santa Claus involved in a quid pro quo. It's great. Uh, anyways, uh, meanwhile, YouTube is now facing a lawsuit from a group of uh, channel owners who say their rights were violated by YouTube's recent moderation against QAnon accounts. They're framing it in their lawsuit as yet another example of anti-conservative bias, and they likely don't have a real case here, thanks to Section 230 protections for YouTube. So it would be really great if Ted Cruz and Ron Johnson and friends subpoenaed Susan about all this. It would be so funny. Yeah, because she hasn't been like ground into the dirt by these things yet. Yeah. She would... Get some good clips out. I there. want all these senators to get tricked into defending uh, QAnon. <laughs> yeah, in a Senate hearing, uh-huh. it'd be amazing. I mean, yeah, it would definitely add some spice to those hearings. And since they're just a regularly scheduled scheduled thing now, like it would be nice to pep them up yeah, a bit. They're boring. Everyone's a rerun now. We need some. I want to see Ted Cruz accidentally defend QAnon. Oh, oh, jeez. Anyways, in other YouTube news, uh, the RIAA isn't just going after Twitch streamers and forcing them to delete entire clips or entire just like back catalogs of videos if there's even a hint of copyrighted music. They're also going after YouTube downloaders because they might use to download MP3 files of music videos or something. What a word! <laughs> who is doing this? Is such a it's such an arduous yeah. <laughs> to do the, the like and uh, and they even the ones you have to pay for yeah the quality of a YouTube video yeah. is not great. It's not yeah. It's not. It's the <laughs> least convenient, least optimal way of listening to music. The idea, the gall, yeah, the gall of the of the RAA to think that people are using YouTube downloaders to save MP3s. 
Yeah. Because even playing them is more difficult than just going to YouTube or going to Spotify. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense at all. So a popular tool called YouTube DL was recently deleted off GitHub after the RIA came at GitHub claiming that YouTube DL violates Section 1201 of U.S. copyright law, which says, no person shall circumvent a technological measure that effectively controls access to a work protected under this title. Imagine, imagine doing this to get the MP3. It would take you a minute. So I'm not I'm not going above and beyond here by saying, oh, it's going to take like an hour to like get an MP3. A minute. But think about just opening YouTube or opening Spotify yeah. free mm-hmm. and just playing a song. Yeah. The only people that are like probably doing this are like DJs who don't can't afford a whole Beatport library. Or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but even then, it's like how are, who you're going to get fired from any gig if you're playing like a, yeah, a 96 going to sound KBPS. like shit yeah. on those big speakers. It's yeah. Gonna buzz. Yeah. Yeah. And no one's doing that right now anyway. No. Staying at home. Anyways, basically, YouTube DL facilitates piracy and is therefore illegal. Meanwhile, there's a million other ways to download YouTube videos due to the way YouTube is built. Or in the worst case scenario, you can just screen capture them manually. There's no stopping that. Uh, There's probably a few people out there with uh, large libraries of MP3s captured from Vivo accounts on YouTube. But in the age of Spotify, it's hard to imagine it's significant enough to really warrant attention from the recording industry. They are spending more money going after this than they will ever have received doing nothing. Yeah. But then again, they're nuking entire Twitch channels over background music. So this is about the, about the level of petty that the RIA operates at. So yeah, uh, time is so circular because like I hadn't thought about the RIA in like a decade. We solved it. Yeah, everyone, no one was pirating things anymore because yeah. it became streaming easier. solved it. They didn't have any fights, so like they've been just their RIA lawyers have been itching for just like. Someone to fuck up for That's, a decade. Yeah, well, and it's because, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's because of that, but might be a reason is that live entertainment is gone. Yeah. And nobody's getting paid right now. Uh, yeah, that could be it. So they, they got to do something, I guess. I don't know. Or at least look like they're doing something. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is doing nothing. Let's be honest. Yeah. This does, this accomplishes zero. Yeah. In fact, it makes people want to pirate more. Yeah. Anyways. On to coronavirus news now. It's over, guys. We, we did it. We defeated it. Just kidding. All right, bye. Now, new cases are the highest they've ever been in this country. The line, go up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the Midwest in particular, and especially Wisconsin, are doing especially poorly. It's kind of nuts. But, uh, I mean, on the bright side, deaths are down. Uh, only around 900 COVID deaths per day now compared to the 2,000-plus deaths per day back in April. It's only like only hey, two jumbo it. jets crashing a day. Yeah. Um, doctors have clearly gotten a, a lot better at treating the illness. Um, still not ideal. And it's also no thanks to hydroxychloroquine, the trendiest fake cure of the summer, but also no thanks to remdesivir, which recently received full approval from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, despite a massive global study a few days earlier that concluded that remdesivir provides no benefit to COVID patients at all. Damn it. Uh, The FDA approval came out of three studies, one by the FDA and two by Gilead, uh, the makers of remdesivir. So uh, they found that it shortened recovery time in patients. The test subjects of all three trials add up to just over a thousand people. Meanwhile, the study that says remdesivir doesn't really do anything was a massive World Health Organization trial involving nearly 12,000 patients at 500 locations in over 30 countries testing remdesivir and other therapeutics. With 2,743 patients receiving remdesivir compared to the roughly 1,100 patients in the FDA studies who received it. So 
like with everything nowadays, whether or not remdesivir is an effective treatment for COVID-19 depends entirely on whether you trust the U.S. government and U.S. pharmaceutical companies or those damn globalists over at the WHO. Also very suspicious that it came out right now instead of, I don't know, two weeks from now. or Bit odd. Yeah. But hey, uh, we can expect an actual vaccine at some point, uh, maybe January, maybe not. I guess we'll just have to keep calm and carry on. I, yeah, they they asked Fauci about the January thing like today or yesterday, and he was like, "Listen, it might be January, uh, might not be. Yeah. Might be June, February, March, April. We don't know." I will say, the one person who needed to come out and speak up in favor of mask wearing, the person who could never have a negative comment said about them, they finally spoke up because they needed to now. That person is Paddington the Bear, who tweeted about, finally, Paddington, I don't want to say that it's a political statement, but said to wear masks. And I scrolled through the responses. Boy, did I try. I even went to the bottom where you have to click the show more tweets, which is... You want to see the real responses? (laughs) The the too hot for timeline (laughs) ones. And even those were like, at least neutral. So thank you, Paddington. The one being that exists that is so wholesome that no one had anything negative to say now having said that a few hours have passed the tweet has gone on they shared more there might be something now but it did feel good to just see positive reaction i'm sure by now there's a couple guys with uh, profile pictures of them in their car with sunglasses on who are like ripping well my kids are never going to watch padding this is fucking bears trying to indoctrinate my kids into you know being globalists the most wholesome comments were like uh even people with American flags in their usernames were like, thank you, Paddington. Me and my family have been wearing our masks recently and everything's been going great. Like talking to it as if it's a real, like, I love it. Look, don't so get me wrong. A, it, back in March, Paddington Bear. That's should, all he needed to do. Should have been the mascot for uh, mask wearing. Cause, yeah. Because no one can get mad at or disagree with Paddington Bear. He's too Paddington cute. the Bear is reality's Stay puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah. Damn. If only we had known. Yeah. 200,000 lives could have been saved. <laughs> it's like when people make the joke about Chris Angel not using his powers against yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He just let them all die. Yeah. In the middle of a pandemic, David Blaine hooked himself to a bunch of balloons and flew around Arizona. <laughs> yeah. Why wasn't he using his powers to stop the vaccine? <laughs> so that's not how it works, actually. I did the balloons. Yeah. See? I provided the, the real cure. <laughs> laughter and excitement. Actually, sir, laughter spreads the coronavirus. Well, my work here is done. I'm going to fly away on my balloons. <laughs> anyways, I just wanted to say thank you to Paddington thank the Bear. Thank you, Paddington Bear. Uh, anyways, that's it for today's episode. Uh, again, we got algorithmed, so please check out the video over there. Uh, and also, we, we got censored news. is what you mean. Yes. Censored We, we will be speaking tech. to Big Tech soon in the Senate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, watch that. Watch uh, Weekly Weird News. Uh, and guys, you're going to need the backstory in the Murder Hornets with Weekly Weird News because there's more. There's more coming up soon. Yeah. They might have caught a queen. Bye. Bye.